0: In uh, The Cost of Discipleship, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks about two forms of grace. He talks about cheap grace and he talks about costly grace. And as he was speaking about these two forms or writing about these two forms, he was highlighting these two main mindsets that, that can be in Christianity. And he described cheap grace in this way. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And he highlights that this cheap imitation of the gospel is useless in a life that is devoted to Jesus Christ. Cheap grace tells us that because we are forgiven by Christ, nothing in our lives needs to change. We can live how we want, we can stay who we are, Jesus has us covered, but that is not the gospel message. That is not true Christ-centered Christianity. Costly grace is totally different. Bonhoeffer says that costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him, but it is grace because Jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Costly grace. It condemns Sin It confronts us. It convicts the sinner. It breaks down barriers of, of comfort and ease. And it embraces the saving work of Jesus Christ above anything else. Now here is the sad reality. Some of us may have been living our whole lives embracing a cheap imitation of Christianity. We have, we have bought into this idea that, that following Jesus costs us nothing. We have not once sat down and counted the cost of following Jesus. Uh, following Jesus. You're told that if you, you come to Jesus, if you follow him, all your problems in life go away. You can, you can put cruise control on, coast into heaven, and that's, that's it. You're covered. But that is not the gospel. The thing is, I have seen far too many people uh, ca- kind of cash in on this cheap form of discipleship, this cheap form of Christianity. I've seen friends, I've seen students, I've seen, seen family that have, have have embraced this mindset without knowing what it really is to follow Jesus. So here's my goal for today. I'm not going to try to talk you out of being a Christian. One of my my favorite preachers is David Platt, and uh, he told me, or he didn't tell me personally, but I heard it through a sermon. It'd be cool if he told me personally, Um, but he said that when he was in seminary, he remembers this one sermon that that one of his professors gave in a it was basically the, the cost of discipleship kind of sermon where he said, I'm going to try to talk you out of being a Christian. And at the end of the service, he, he uh, you know, asked for a show of hands, like, how many of you are all in? And, you know, pretty much all the students there, that's seminary. They kind of have to be there at that point. Like, they're all in. They don't call seminary cemetery for, you know, no reason. But uh, I haven't been, that's why. Um, and so David Platt, he's like, you know, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to try to do that at, at my church. So he did that. Completely opposite results. He's like, you know, who's, who's all in? And, you know, a couple of people are just like, I'll raise my hand. And so my, my goal is not to, to talk you out of following Jesus. My goal is, in my prayer, is that you decide today to truly count the cost and take on the cost of following Jesus. So we're in Luke 14 today, so we're kind of working in reverse from last week when we were in Luke 15. And uh, here, here's what Jesus says in uh "'Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, "'all who see it begin to mock him, "'saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. "'Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, "'will not sit down first and deliberate "'whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him "'who comes against him with 20,000? "'And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, "'he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. "'So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has "'cannot be my disciple.'" Now, when we first look at these words, it might be kind of weird for us in a a series on parables to see this as a parable, because the Bibles that we have nowadays, they've been pretty nice to us, and they give us these little subheadings that will usually say something like the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the mustard seed, those sort of things. But here in Luke 14, we're not seeing that. It is not a, uh, we could almost say it doesn't look like a typical parable of what we are used to. But... Here's what Jesus is doing. We see him. He's walking around. He has this large crowd behind him, and he stops, and then he just drops this bomb on them, and what he's basically saying is, you are following me for the wrong reasons. If you're not willing to go through loss, pain, homelessness, abandonment, and death, then you can't really be my disciple. Now, what Jesus is saying probably would offend them. In fact, if, Jesus, if all Jesus is trying to do is build up a crowd, then he's not doing it in the best possible way. So even the disciples, they're, used, they're, they're at the same time, they're used to these sort of statements, but it still catches them off guard. Because remember, in the in the Gospel of John, Jesus is like, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't follow me. And so this happens here too. And the disciples are like, Jesus, come on, you gotta stop telling people to eat you, man. Like you gotta stop telling people that, like we're not we're not trending on Facebook or trending on Twitter. If you just keep doing this, buddy, if you want to get followers, this is not the way to do it. So what does he mean when he says that if we do not hate our parents, our children, our siblings, in our own life, that we can't be his disciples? Doesn't this go against what the law has said? Doesn't this go against one of those big Ten Commandments of honor your, your father and your mother? But what Jesus is doing, he's not telling us that we aren't supposed to love these people. He knows the law, he follows it perfectly, he knows what it says. But what he's saying is that our love and devotion to him should be so deep that all other love seemed to be hatred in comparison. So when you were given the gospel, when this message was presented to you, was this the level of devotion that you were told was required of you? Like, was this the the all-in that that you were giving? Like, uh, uh, Jan played earlier, you know, I surrender all, and you said that it was a very dangerous hymn to sing unless we really mean it. Because not all of us are willing to surrender all of it. We'll say, we'll surrender part of it, and you might get some of the rest later. But... Here is what's going to happen. If we're going to love Jesus like that, if we're going to love Jesus to that level, then what this means is that that we can't be holding on to sin like it's the thing that we treasure most. It can't be the thing that is most important to us in our lives. I can't be holding on to sin like it's the thing that is most important to me. If we aren't going to renounce our sin, then you will not be able to really embrace your Savior. It is as simple as that. What Jesus is saying is, in this parable should be shocking to us. And, and I think that, that for some of you, if you didn't already know that these were the words of Jesus, you might not be sure what you were hearing. Because what we've been given, and, and part of this is that uh, we, we, we've embraced this idea of the you know, baby Jesus, meek and mild approach, but we don't really embrace the uh, conquering king, the one that has said, hey, give to me. Like, like Lay your life down for me. We just think of Jesus as, as the I, I, I can't say, I really do not like the, uh, the uh, little bumper stickers, I don't know if they still have them, of the Jesus is my co-pilot, because that, what that means is that you're still in the wrong seat, right? Like, you don't, want him, you don't want Jesus to be your co-pilot, you want him driving the whole thing where you sit in the back in the baby seat. Like, that's what you want. <laughs> Got the little goldfish crackers, you know, in the back seat somewhere. <laughs> I say this because uh, Laura went to, and Benji went to Delaware this past weekend or, the, or on Wednesday, and I Saw her bring the goldfish cracker and she handed him a couple as they were driving or getting in the car and I was like, we're not starting this, we're going to find those goldfish like four years from now, (laughs) like all crumbled up, like that's parenthood. But anyway, that's my rabbit trail for the day, you're welcome. A life devoted to Jesus will cost you everything and what we need to ask is, are we willing to pay that cost? Like are we willing to go beyond what we think we're capable of giving for Jesus Christ now, for some of you, you might be thinking, you're hearing these words of Jesus, you're hearing the requirement of it, and you're like, well, that's not what I've been told. That's not the picture of God that I've been given. And, and, and the problem with that is that you, you have made up this image of God in your mind, of, of him totally catering to you, looking just like you, being just like you, and never asking you to go one step further beyond what you think you can go. But that is not the God of Scripture. That's not the God of the Bible. And you say something like, well, this is offensive to me. I, don't, I shouldn't be pushed beyond this. And I like what John MacArthur said. He said that people have been living their whole lives in offense to God. It's okay for them to be offended for a while. And so when Jesus tells us that in order for us to be a true follower of, of him, we need to pick up our cross and follow him, what do we think that he's really saying by that? He is not saying go down to Walmart, pick up the first little $12 silver cross that you have, and then say, look at me, world... $12 plus tax. I'm all in. I've got my little necklace. We're good to go. Now Jesus is requiring devotion to him beyond what, what we see as true devotion. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, your one death is always going to be required of you. To follow Jesus means that you lay your old life down. You nail your sin on the cross and you embrace the new life that has been given you in Christ. But here is the predicament that 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 are for a lot of people that claim to be christian they still love that old life too much instead of clinging to the cross they're clinging to their their pre-cross lifestyles and i love what leonard ravenhill said he says there's only two types of people in the world those who are dead in sin and those that are dead to sin so the problem is you may have knelt at the foot of the cross but you haven't gotten up there yet You're, you're, you're devoted to the things that that jesus can give you not to jesus himself and so we come to have our sins forgiven but then we go out and we make the same mistakes. We refuse to carry the cross. That's no kind of salvation. Jesus did not die so that you could be the same person that you have been. He died to make you someone entirely new. And so I'll tell you what one of the biggest problems facing Christianity today in America is that we, we we've kind of confused the American dream with, with what Christianity looks like. We tell ourselves if, 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 we, if we have a good you know, amount of money in the bank, if we have a nice house, you know, we don't need a great house, but if we have a nice house, then... If we go to church every now and again, then that's it. That is Christianity. We, we've received the full blessing that this is what the Christian life looks like. And the problem is, is that that's not, the American dream is not Christianity. We say things like, uh, you know, we miss how America used to be this Christian country. But like I've said before, the, uh, America was never a Christian's country. This was never our country. Our country is in heaven. No one is saying anything that will stop the world in their tracks and have the desire to see them nailed to the cross. That's the kind of devotion that we see Jesus saying. We're comfortable with this inoffensive, self-pleasing, keep-to-ourselves form of Christianity, but that type of Christianity won't work. That's not the type of Christianity that has been built on the blood of Christ and on the blood of the saints for, for centuries. So following Jesus, it requires radical obedience, but not everyone seems to know this. And like I mentioned earlier, I've seen far too many people spend their lives in church but not have a grasp of what the gospel really is. I've had former students, I've seen church members, I've seen friends that claim to know Christ, but their lives don't show it. And the problem is is that we're so eager to accept this watered-down approach to Christianity, this this watered-down approach to salvation, because we think that it tastes better to the people that it's being given to. Like David Platt said, we take the lifeblood out of the gospel and we put Kool-Aid in its place so that people are more likely to respond. Now, here's something that might shock you. Jesus does not care about numbers. He is not a number man, but he cares about his disciples. Something that concerns me with Christianity is that many of us have fallen into this lie that the only thing that we need to do to get into heaven is just accept Jesus into our hearts. We've seen and heard things like, you know, pray this prayer, walk this aisle, raise your hand, sign a card, uh, put your hand up and high-five your pastor, if, and, and you will be saved. Now, should we not be worried that there is no such superstitious prayer in the Bible? Nowhere will you ever see in the Bible except Jesus into your heart, and you're covered. Every year, this is packaged to millions of people, and they're told, hey, the only thing you need to do for your entire life, and you're set for eternity, is to pray a prayer, and you will be set. And then when we approach and try to give them the gospel, they say, it's okay, I prayed this prayer when I was eight. I'm covered, I got my nicotine patch." I was at a, a, a camp a couple of years ago with my high schoolers, and uh, it, it was the gospel presentation night. And, and usually this, this camp has done a decent job at it, but this night it was, something was off. They, uh, the speaker was up there, and he was, he, was, he was, I don't even know if he was preaching, he was saying something. He was talking about things, and I was there. Um, and the entire time, all he was saying is, you know, come to the light. If you come to the light, you, you know, step out of darkness, come to the light, you'll be saved. And, and, and dozens of kids go up, and they accept this message. But then I, I ask my, the students, I asked the leaders, I'm like, did you notice anything off in what he was saying? And, and then at first they're like, no, I didn't, it's, everything seems okay. I mean, it was a good message. I'm like, at any point in that message, did he talk about repentance? Did he talk about uh, the cost of following Jesus? Did you hear the name of Jesus Christ once? And each and every one of them said, huh, you know what? No, we didn't. Because here's the thing, I was like, I want to make sure that I'm not the only one that's that's mishearing this. But they're like, no, this is true. And yet we see dozens of kids go up. And yet they're saying, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to get my nicotine patch. I'm going to be covered. That's concerning for us. That's not disciple-making. That is number-bumping false evangelism. Now, I'm not going to say that if you prayed that prayer that you're not saved. That's not my place to do that. But what I'm saying is that if all you have done is prayed that prayer and you have not shown If you've not done anything else to embrace Jesus, then there might be a problem there. So we ask ourselves, what has following Jesus cost us? And J.C. Ryle, he once said, there's a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have, a cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. So if we want to be a follower of Jesus, we don't pick up a card and sign it asking to be a Christian. We pick up a cross and we follow him. So we cannot waste our life on some cheap, easy imitation of the gospel. I want to tell you really quickly, one of the greatest sermons that I've ever heard that has impacted me and and millions of others, usually around my age, that are in ministry, pastors like uh, Matt Chandler and J.D. Greer, they all look at this sermon as one of the most important and most impactful sermons that they have ever heard. It was about 20 years ago, um, down in Memphis, Tennessee, a pastor was giving a, uh, a message to a bunch of college students and there are thousands upon thousands of college-aged kids here, and they assembled in this outdoor venue, and the weather was pretty horrible. Um, so the pastor comes out, he starts teaching, um, and about 10 minutes into it, his, half of his notes blow away, which is the equivalent of my iPad just turning off right now, which has happened before when I was preaching, and I did not handle it as well as he did. Um, so he, he had to leave his hand on top of the rest of the notes just to make sure that they wouldn't blow off. And uh, he went on to tell the crowd about something that had happened in his church not too long before that conference. He said that um, his church received news that, that two of their members, Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards, were killed in a car crash in Cameroon. And Ruby was over 80 years old, and her desire in life was to make Christ known to the sick and the poor in some of the hardest-to-reach places. So both ladies, they were retired, and while they were going to the next village in their car, the brakes went out and they drove off a cliff. And they both died instantly. So the preacher asks, you Now, is this a tragedy? Two ladies that were devoted to the idea of magnifying Christ among some of the hardest to reach places, passing away in a flash and immediately going to be with Jesus for eternity. Would that be a tragedy? And the crowd says, No, it's not a tragedy. And, and the preacher he agrees with them and he says, Now I'll tell you what a what a tragedy is. And what he does is he he pulls out like a reader's digest or something. And uh, he starts reading them this story about Bob and Penny. That, that took on an early retirement, and they, they lived in Punta Gorda, Florida, which sounds fun to say. And uh, they cruise around in this 30-foot boat, and they play softball, and they collect seashells. And he said, that is a tragedy. He said, there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy into this idea. And I get a few minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, to say, here it is, Lord, my seashell collection. And I've got a great swing and softball, and look at my boat, and that, that can't be what life is all about. So we can't waste our lives on some half-hearted, easygoing, Christless Christianity. Now this sermon, this was John Piper's uh, famous seashell sermon that he gave at Passion Conference 2000. So here's what I'm telling you in, this, in light of what Jesus was saying in Luke 14. There might be a lot of you here, there might be even one of you here who has never counted the cost of being a follower of Jesus. We need to be all in. We need to look at our lives and say, here it is, Lord. Here's every nook and cranny. Here's every aspect of my being. This is for you. This is all yours. Use me, not according to my will, but according to your will. That's where it gets dangerous when we say, Lord, your will be done in my life. Because that is where we're saying, I don't lay claim to this anymore. I'm trusting you to lead me where you need to lead me. So when it comes to Christianity, there's only two options really. We either go and serve or we stay behind and support the ones that are going. Um, William Carey, he's the father of modern missions and he popularized this mindset because before he went to India, he was talking to his friend uh, Andrew Fuller and he said, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. So what Carey's saying is that the only way he was going to reach the lost in, in India was if he had the support of others' believers. So when it comes to your walk with Christ, you can do one of two things. You can climb down the rope and go yourself, or you can hold the rope and support somebody else. But either way, our hands should be bloodied and they should be scarred. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Either way, our hands should not look as clean as they might be. I know that that not everyone knows what following Jesus might look like for them. I know full well that not all of you are called to go, do a missions trip in Uganda. But what I do know is that Jesus has called you to something. Jesus has called you to do something for His name, for the church, for His glory. The only thing, like, like here's the thing. The only thing Christianity will not cost you is nothing. Christianity will always cost something. So be all in for Jesus. Be that city on a hill. Be the, the one that, that points people to Jesus in all that you do. Let your light shine before others so that they might give glory to your Father in heaven. So here's the thing. You know the cost. You know what following Jesus is like. It might cost you persecution. It might cost isolation, martyrdom. It may cost you your family, your friends, your home, your job. That's on the line. Can we say like Paul that all that I count is loss for knowing Christ? So yes, Christianity, it is costly. It's the most costly thing there is. But it is worth it. And we think that sounds hard. That sounds like it's going to cost way too much. But here's what we need to know. The higher the cost, the greater the reward. And so I want to encourage you with, with one thing in, in, in Scripture that we just read. So yes, Jesus tells us to carry a cross. But look closely. Notice whose cross it is he's telling you to carry. Notice that, that he does not say to carry his cross. He tells us to carry our cross. Now this is important because you know, the thing that made Jesus' cross so substantially worse was, was not that they hammered the nails in a little, little too much. The thing that made His cross so different than ours was that while He was on His, the full weight of God's wrath towards your sin and my sin was being placed on Him. That is a cross that we cannot carry. That's a, a weight that we cannot bear. So yes, we need to carry our cross, but because of what He did, we no longer have to carry His. He placed all the sin that would have been nailed to you and he nailed it into his own cross. So yes, the Christian life is hard, but you don't have to be buried under the weight of of guilt and shame anymore. So Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The work is hard, but Christ promises rest and he promises reward. He's like we kind of mentioned earlier, um, he says, you know, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. D. A. Carson, he once said that the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship, and those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandons everything else to secure it. And that's true, isn't it? Obviously, eternity in heaven is worth far more than than what we are going through right now. I like to kind of, you know, look at it this way. Um, What we're going through right now, it's like one little pebble of sand in an eternity of oceans. That's what it's like following Jesus, is that when we're in heaven, we're not going to focus on this one little speck of sand. We're going to focus on an eternity with Jesus, because I I really have a hard time believing that we're going to focus on our past, Self, so that we made way too many mistakes in a place where Jesus himself says, no, you're not going to have to worry about that. So I don't see why we're going to be focusing so much on our past when we have an eternity to look forward to with Christ. Jesus is a lifelong commitment to pursue him in all that we do, not in the hopes that we have this eternal life, but that for, for the hope that for eternity is that we are going to be in his present. We'll be able to see the cost of following him, and we're going to see that, that he never asks too much of us he never put a price on us that, w- that we would not be able to pay. It is possible to do it. It is worth it to do it. And so I'll, I'll quote one of my favorite theologians, Bono, from U2. He said, in a little while, this hurt will hurt no more. I'll be home. Now, it's not a, probably not a Christian song. That's okay. But the message is still there. The hurt, the cost is here now. But hey, soon we're going to be home. We're going to be where we will be able to embrace Jesus, fully. We will be able to see Him in full. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that, that you have considered the cost, that you're willing to say, Lord, I've counted this cost. I'm all in. I know you, and you are totally worth it. And if we can pray that together, that, that's the goal of Christianity, to say, God, I've counted this cost. I'm all in. Let's pray. Father, we are here today, and I know, for, for me, I, I'm ready to carry the cross. I want to carry the cross, and I know how hard it can be, even being an experienced or even an older Christian, and, and, and hearing these words and, and thinking, God, that sounds like a lot. I don't know if I can, if I can do that. But Lord, what's great to know is that, that our faith does not rest on what we can do, but but it rests on how strong you are and how loving you are. So Lord, let us, let us embrace that truth of the gospel that that you have saved us, that you have came down, that you have have carried the cross, that you have died on that cross, that you were raised from the dead. And as that is so true for our own lives, let us embrace that and be able to say, God, I will pick up this cross. I will follow you wherever you go as long as you will have me. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand up together, and we're going to worship. We're going to respond to this, and I, I just really want you to think of what you're, you're saying, think of what we're we're saying, and just say to yourself, "God, I've counted the cost. I'm all in." So you know the altar's open. If you want to come up and pray, we're we're here to receive you. Um, and if you're maybe maybe unsure of what that was, but also unsure of of what might be next in your life, we would love to be able to talk that. Wayne and I are both here. We'd love to. to to talk to you and to pray with you.